Let's pray. My Father, thank You. Thank You for drawing us into Your house of worship this morning. And we just ask that this would be a special time for us as we learn about Your Word and learn more how to be like You. Father, may You just make this a, a blessed time and may we bring You glory and honor in all that we say and do this morning. We pray for those from our church that are in Israel this morning. We're thankful for them and happy for them that they can make this trip to the Holy Land and walk where You walked and see the sights, Father, that uh, they will be able to have pictures in their mind of biblical places and events and it will draw them just closer to you and make it more meaningful father as they read and study your word may the weather cooperate may you keep them safe and and bring them home to us father and uh, may we just be joyful with them for this trip father as we now go to share with one another may you help us to be Open, Father, to be comfortable to share with one another and lift up concerns that we have in our lives. And it is just, uh, we're just so thankful that the Creator of the universe hears our prayers and answers them according to your will. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So be turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. If you remember at all, the last few times I taught, we were examining the topic of prayer. Prayer is one of those disciplines in the Christian life that all of us hold in high regard. We know the importance of it. We know the power in it. We know the awesome privilege it is to be able to go directly to the Lord Himself, to be able to talk with Him. And yet, if we're honest, most of us struggle in this area. Most of us are not where we want to be when it comes to this spiritual discipline. And do you know that the that God understands this? He knew we would need help. We're not alone. Even the disciples needed help. Do you remember when Jesus was near the end of his life and he entered into the garden to pray? And he left some of the disciples and he took with them Peter, James, and John and he went further into the garden and he asked them to watch and pray as he went a little further in ahead of them and began to pray. Do you remember what they did? They fell asleep. Jesus returns in a little while and finds them sleeping. He wakes them up and he says to them, couldn't you stay awake for just an hour and watch and pray? And he goes off again to pray. And they try again, and they fall asleep again. This happened not once, not twice, but three times. After this, do you remember what Jesus said to them? He said, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And so it is with me, with us. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And as I told you when we began studying this topic, these words are not written so that we would become guilty. They were written so that we would seek God's help and to grow and to do better. And He wants to help us. He wants to teach us how to pray. And He left us some instructions and examples of prayer in Scripture. And the last few times I taught, we began looking at what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. I'm calling it the Model Prayer. A prayer that was given to the disciples and to us to use as a guideline to help us pray. 
It's not so much a prayer as it is a guideline on how to pray, a model to follow. This prayer is recorded twice in Scripture, once in Luke 11 and once in Matthew chapter 6. We were looking at the account in Matthew chapter 6, and that's where we're going to be this morning. I'm going to read the whole prayer again, and then we'll pick up and look at just one verse. We'll center in on verse 11, but let me read Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, it's been a while, but hopefully you remember our study on the first few verses. Jesus begins by telling to us to address God as Father, Father who is in heaven. And we discuss the implications of coming to God in prayer as a son comes to a father. We discuss the implications of the fact that he was not an earthly father, but our Father who is in heaven which adds a whole nother dimension to it. Being in heaven shows us the reality that He is not like us. He doesn't reside where we do. He doesn't have an earthly body like we do. His mind is beyond us. His power is beyond us. His knowledge is beyond us. He rules sovereignly from on high in heaven. And we discussed how that fact should impact our prayers. After the opening address, we find that the prayer consists of six short petitions. We looked at the first three already. The first petition concerns God's glory. Hallowed be your name. God, make your name holy. We looked at what that means and how we can pray for that to happen in our lives as well as others. The second and third petitions are how the first petition becomes a reality. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Or how God is glorified. When God's kingdom comes to our lives, when it comes to other people's lives, when we talk about His kingdom is glorified, those things are the central part of the prayer that God wants for us to pray. God's glory, His name, His will, His kingdom. All of that is about the first three petitions are all about God's concerns, God's glory. I don't want to spend time reviewing what we've already been through, so we're going to move on into the next three petitions that concern our needs. The first three concern God's glory. The next three concern man's needs. So we come this morning to the first petition that directly concerns our needs. After praying for God's holiness, for His glory, for His kingdom, and His will to be done, then we can come to our needs. They are secondary to God and His glory. Just like the Ten Commandments. When you think about the Ten Commandments, which ones comes first? It's the ones about God's glory. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship idols. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. God's holiness, God's glory always come first and so it is in prayer. Sometimes in prayer we do the opposite of this, don't we? We spend most of our time on our needs. But that's not the model that Jesus showed us. We are instructed first to pray for His name to be made holy, for His kingdom to be advanced, for His will to be done. 
We're supposed to pray for those things first. But he does instruct us to pray for our needs. After praying for all these things, then we have permission to pray for our own personal needs. And the first of these is what we're going to look at today in verse 11. Verse 11 says, Give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is a very brief request, but when prayed correctly, it's a very powerful prayer. So the way I want to study and learn what these verses are instructing us by is by answering five questions. I think if we adequately answer these five questions, we will have a good understanding of this fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer, and we will be able to pray for our personal needs in a way that honors and glorifies God. So let's answer the first question. The first question is this. Is there significance... And that this is the first of the personal petitions. This request for giving us our daily bread, is there any reason this is listed first? And I think there is. I said that there are six petitions in this model prayer. The first three about God's glory. And Jesus was very intentional in his words. Even in the way he, we went through it when we talked about it in the previous lessons. That even the way he listed his glory and his kingdom and his will, that they were there and, and they built on each other. And there was an importance in the way. God's words are always important. And the way he structures his words are important. And I think when you think about that, and then you ask that question, will this be in a physical need? What are the other next two petitions about? Forgiveness and leading is not into temptation. Those are spiritual things, aren't they? But this is a physical Thing. You would think it would be backwards. You would think that he would give the spiritual things first and then the physical. But he does the physical need first and then the spiritual. And I think this tells us something. That our temporal physical needs are important to fulfilling our spiritual duties. Matthew Henry in his commentary on this says that our natural well-being is necessary for our spiritual well-being. I think that's why when missionaries go into a poor country, what's the first thing they do? They usually feed the people. They minister to them by meeting some of their needs. They bring clean water to the people. And I think that's biblical. It's hard to reach a people spiritually when they are struggling to survive, wondering where they're going to find food and sustenance for the day. So we can summarize from this that providing for our physical needs is very important to God. And that's not my opinion. Scripture leads us to this conclusion. Scripture tells us that Jesus was doing this when he ministered to people. He was always providing needs for those around him. He provided food for them. He healed them. He always pointed to spiritual things as more important, but he didn't neglect their physical needs. Healed them. He comforted them. He fed them. Jesus cares about our physical needs. Jesus cares about my physical needs. Question number two we have to answer is, what is included in the term bread? If we are to pray for God to give us bread, we have to answer the question, what is bread? Now, we literally know what bread is, but is that what he's talking about, just literal bread? Is he talking about food, give us food for the day? It does mean that, there's no question, but the term bread means more than just literal bread. Turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of Adam and Eve. 
After they have sinned, God tells them the consequence that they will endure because of their sin. In chapter 3, verse 16, He tells Eve that she will endure the pain during childbirth. In verse 17, He tells Adam the ground will be cursed and he will toil and labor to produce food. Thorns and thistles will grow. And then look at verse 19. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. He tells Adam, By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and dust you shall return. He told him, By the sweat of your face you're going to eat bread till you return to the ground. God wasn't saying you will only eat bread. He was saying that you will have to sweat and work to provide for yourself. Bread was a term that was used for the necessities of life. Martin Luther said that everything necessary for the preservation of life is bread. Arthur Pink in his book on this passage says that our daily bread refers primarily to the supply of all of our temporal needs. There was actually more than one word in that day for bread. This one here was not the word specifically for the loaf of bread. It was a more generic term that was used signifying the necessities and conveniences of life, such as food, clothing, housing. Now, it wouldn't include luxuries. It would just be the basic necessities of life. And, you know, we even use the word today in some some ways like this maybe not so much anymore but when I was young I heard it all the time when the husband or the wife who was the primary wage earner in the family they were called the what breadwinner so you used to hear people going off to work they might say I'm going to make some bread and they weren't going to make a literal loaf of bread they were going off to earn some money to provide for their family so in answering the first two questions we see that God is concerned about our basic physical needs Our basic physical needs. And when you think about that, he's okay with us praying for, he's not just okay with it, he's instructing us to pray that he meet those basic physical needs. Question number three. What is the significance of the word give? Give us this day our daily bread. At first glance, that might not seem all that important, but the more I studied it, the more of an impact it made on me. We are taught here to ask God to give us bread. Now, in some poor countries, this might seem like a reasonable request. There are many places in the world where people get up every morning and wonder where they're going to get enough food to eat. When I was in Haiti about six months ago, I saw people walking miles with jugs of water, sometimes dirty water that they had to carry back to their village. I saw people begging everywhere. I saw people sitting for hours in the hot scorching sun to sell a few trinkets to get a couple of bucks. And what are they going to use that couple of bucks for? The basic provisions. So in some places when they pray for the Lord to give them daily bread, they are literally praying for the Lord to give them daily bread. But what about us in the Western culture here in the United States? When Jesus wrote this, he was instructing us to pray this prayer, not just somebody in a poor country. Do we really need to pray for God to give us our daily bread? Let's face it, most of us have no problem providing for our basic needs. Even the poor in this country have government help and 
food stamps and housing allowances and even, you know, food banks, Salvation Army, Goodwill. When you think about all the ways that we meet the basic needs of the people in this country, it makes you think, do we need to pray for God to give us our daily bread? So what's the application for us? I think first and foremost, it is to recognize and give credit to the one who is the ultimate provider, the Lord God. We take tend to take credit for what we've earned, what we have made of ourselves. And that's an absolutely wrong and sinful attitude. We have how much? We have nothing without God. Nothing. So many scriptures come to mind after meditating on this for a while. I thought of James 1.7. Every good thing given and every perfect gift comes from where? From above, the Father of lights. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In Genesis 1, 29, after creating Adam and Eve, God told them, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. God gave Adam and Eve everything they needed to sustain their existence and he's been doing that ever since. It's arrogant of us to think or even talk like we are doing any great thing by providing for ourselves and our family if we don't give the credit to the Lord. I sometimes hear people go on and on about how much education they received and how hard they worked to get it. And that's a good thing to do. But who gave them the mind to do that? Who opened up the opportunity for them? I've heard people talk about how hard they worked. I worked 60 hours a week for 30 years. That's why I have what I have. Who gave you the body, the health to be able to do that? As much as you want to take credit for our success in life, we would have nothing if God hadn't given it to us. So I don't want us to speed past this truth. I know I'm guilty of this, and many of you may be too. We look at people sometimes and we look down upon them. We say they're lazy. They don't want to work. They don't want to study. They should be more like me. If you're one of those, then ask the question, where did that desire come from? Where did the desire to work long, hard hours come from? Where did that determination come from? One of my favorite verses is Philippians 2, 12, and 13. You know the verse. It's the one that says, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13 is not as well known, but it goes on to say, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Everything, including our desires and will, comes from God. If you're a hard worker, you didn't just muster that up. God gave you that desire to be a hard worker. Give us this day our daily bread. The word give in this petition recognizes the need of the petitioner. Even though he may have already given it, maybe you've already had your daily needs met for years to come, by praying give us, we are recognizing and acknowledging our need. We are recognizing it is by His grace and His mercy It's an attitude. The attitude we should have, the biblical attitude, is that God owns everything. 
We own nothing. We are only stewards. Psalms 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell in it. Haggai 2, 8 says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. We may think and act like we own things, and relatively speaking, we do in the world operating system, but that's only a mirage. That's an illusion. In the Lord's operating system, we're just stewards. It's just on loan for a little while. And He can take it from us at any moment. Truly, if we have anything at all, it's only because He gives it to us. And that should arise in us another attitude, an attitude of thankfulness. When Jesus uses the word give here, He intends for us to recognize it as what? A gift. When someone gives us a gift, we don't act like we earned it or deserved it or somehow was owed it. We know we thank of it, thank them for the gift. We appreciate the gift and the giver. It was not something required or deserved. It was just that, a gift. So we need to be thankful for all of God's gifts. We need to cultivate an attitude of gratefulness and contentment in all aspects of our life. Not just when we get a really big blessing. We could do this in everything. There is always a reason for being grateful. I wrote down just a few things that I thought about that how we might need to change our thinking. Maybe you've had people over for dinner and you've got a big mess to clean up after they leave and you're staring there looking at it. You can be thankful you have friends. Maybe April the 15th rolls around and you have to write the government a big tax check. You can be thankful you had a job. I get up, this one happened to me recently, I get up and my clothes are a little tight. I can be thankful that I've had plenty of food to eat. You look around at the house and the windows need to be clean. The lawn is tall and the mower's broke. But you can be glad you have a home to live in. You get to church late and you're at the other end of the parking lot and it's raining and you have to walk all the way here. You can be thankful that you have two legs to walk. Every gift, every single one is from God. Don't take any of them for granted. God cares about our provision. God wants to provide for us. He wants to give us good gifts and meet our physical needs. Question number four. Why did Jesus use the word us? Give us this day our daily bread. If we're just being instructed to pray for our physical needs, our necessities of life, you would think that Jesus would have said pray God, to give me this day my daily bread. Give me this day my daily bread. But he didn't. He said, give us this day our daily bread. I was taught that intercessory prayer was one of the main components of praying correctly, and rightfully so. But if you read through the Lord's Prayer quickly and didn't spend much time thinking about it, you wouldn't think that it had intercessory prayer in there. But you can tell just in this one word, it does. Give us this day. We are commanded to pray for not only our needs, but the physical needs of our brothers and sisters. And that lines up with plenty of other scriptures. When you think of Philippians 2.5, each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. If we pray only for our own needs, we're not praying like Jesus. Jesus taught this prayer to his disciples on two occasions. As I said, one of them was in Luke 11. And not long after he did that in Luke 11, Luke chapter 12 tells a parable 
about a man that was only concerned about himself. The parable, you know, it was about the rich man who was a very productive farmer and he had so many crops he didn't know what to do. And what did he do? Built a bigger barn. Do you remember what Jesus called him? A fool. I don't want to be a fool, but sometimes I pray like one. Sometimes I pray all about myself. That's praying like a fool, considering only your own needs. I thought about the fact that if you can't sometimes pray for more than a few minutes before you run out of things to pray for, then you're probably not following God's instruction in this verse. When you think about all the needs around us, if you made a list of just the needs in this room, let alone the needs in Lakeside, the whole church, could you think about how long your prayer list would be? I thought about you know myself. How many times am I primarily concerned about just my own needs? Sometimes I think we're timid in this area because I think we know deep down that there's a strange thing that happens when you pray for other people's needs. Sometimes as you pray for them, God leads you to be the one to meet the need, doesn't He? Give us our daily bread. We are to pray for the needs of our brothers and sisters. Up to this point, we've examined what we are praying for, bread, which is our temporal needs. We have examined the word give, give us bread. We are acknowledging our dependence on God, who is the giver of everything. We see in the word us, give us bread, that we are praying for our needs and also the needs of others. But now we come to a specific way in which we are to pray for those needs. Question number five is, what is the significance of praying for this day, our daily bread? Give us this day our daily bread. How are we to pray for God to meet our temporal needs? Daily. Jesus didn't instruct us to pray for a year's worth of provision, not a month's worth of provision, not even a week's worth of provision, but only a day's worth. In Luke's account of this prayer, it is translated, give us each day our daily bread. Literally, it means day by day. Give us what we need day by day. It's not really the American culture, is it? In our culture of processed food and preservatives and canned goods and refrigerators and deep freezers, we can store up and stock up enough provision for a long time. I think when prayed correctly, this petition of the Lord's Prayer will develop some godly attitudes in us. I want to draw attention to three godly attitudes, the first of which is trust. There are several truths to glean from these words, but I was immediately drawn to the truth that Jesus wants us to trust Him. Back in my other life in Kentucky, I was a financial advisor, and I used to do a lot of teaching classes to the new bank employees and I always told them that they needed to build up a reserve emergency fund so that they could survive on for six months if they lost their job or had an emergency or even if there was a natural disaster. I don't think that's bad advice or anti-scriptural, but one of the things I noticed being a financial advisor was that once people had a nest egg, and some of them had very large nest eggs, the more confidence they had, the more secure they felt. And the bigger the nest egg, the bigger the confidence. It's not wrong to have some money set aside, but to trust in it is. God wants our trust to be where? In Him, not in our finances. There's a story in the lives of the Israelites while they were wandering in the wilderness that illustrates this truth. Turn back to Exodus chapter 16. 
I know you all are all familiar with this story, but it's so relevant to this teaching, I couldn't not read it. Exodus 16, let's look at the first four verses. I'm going to read 16, 1 through 4 to begin with. It says, Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, and I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. We see in these verses that life in the wilderness was hard, and the Israelites were beginning to what? Complain and grumble that it would have been better to be back in Egypt where they would have at least had plenty to eat. Now that's not even the truth. They had a distorted, warped view of what life in bondage back in Egypt was. But God in His mercy was gracious to them anyway. God responded to their complaints by promising to rain down bread from heaven. Now look on down to verse 13. I'm going to read 13 through 21 to get the rest of the story. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord had commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so. And some gathered much, and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it till morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. God miraculously provided for them by sending them bread from heaven. This was a great symbol of His provision. But it's interesting to me that they were not allowed to gather more than one day's worth. They were to trust God day by day. Why? He wanted them to acknowledge our dependence on Him. As I was putting this lesson together, I read a story about after the Korean War where because of the war of South Korea was left with a large number of orphans. Relief agencies came in to help deal with the problem of so many orphans. One of the people involved in this effort shared a story about how the children were restless and anxious to the point of having trouble sleeping at night. As they talked to the children, they learned that even though they were getting fed every day, that many of them were still anxious about whether there was going to be any food tomorrow. So one of the workers decided to put some bread in their hand at night, not for them to eat, but for them to fall asleep holding and clutching that bread. It was kind of like a security blanket for them. Sure enough, it calmed their fears and they began sleeping better. Likewise, we can and should take comfort 
and knowing that our temporal needs are met. God tells us to bring our desires to Him and He will meet them. He's not promising to meet all our wants, but we are promised that He will meet all of our needs. I love Matthew 6.25. I'm just going to summarize. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will wear. I think a few words later he says, look at the lilies of the field. Even not Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed such as these. If God takes care of them, won't he take care of us? We can trust God to meet our basic needs. Besides trust, I think this prayer cultivates within us another attitude, an attitude of contentment. When we focus on God giving us what we need day by day, we are less likely to be worried about getting more and more And the Lord knows that's a problem. It's especially a problem in our culture. It seems like many people never get to the place where they have enough. John D. Rockefeller, the first billionaire, was one of the richest persons ever. He was asked by a reporter, how much is enough? You probably have heard his response. A little bit more. This attitude is prevalent today and not just with the super wealthy. The average person can have this attitude. And it does not honor God. Rockefeller's accountant was asked how much money he left behind when he died. Do you know how much he left was left behind? All of it. <laughs> when I think of contentment, I immediately think of a couple of scriptures. The Apostle Paul wrote, I think it was in 1 Timothy, where Paul said, Godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into this world, and we will take nothing out of it. And if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But also think of the verse in Philippians 4, 11 and 12, where Paul said he learned contentment. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled but going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. According to Paul, contentment is a learned attitude. Besides trust and contentment, another similar attitude this prayer will cultivate within us is the attitude of moderation. Proverbs 30, verse 7 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty or riches. Feed me with food that is my portion, that I might be full and deny you who say who is the Lord, or that I not be in want and steal, and profane the name of my Lord. That's a proverb of moderation. Don't give me so much that I deny God, that I trust in my self-sufficiency, but give me enough that I am not consumed with my needs that I might resort to stealing. Now, the Bible never condemns wealth. Don't get me wrong. There's no sin in being wealthy, but there is a danger. It goes back to the trust factor. Who or where are you placing your trust? This model prayer teaches us to pray for what we need. Not for our lavish things. It tells us to pray for what we need. When we pray for God to give us what we need day by day, it teaches us to trust Him. It teaches us to be content. It teaches us to live moderately. And a byproduct of that is that we will be free from anxiety and worry. So let's recap this. There's so much in this one short sentence of prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. God cares about our needs, not just our spiritual needs, but our physical needs. 
Give us. Everything comes from You, Lord. We deserve nothing. We would have nothing without Your great gifts. Everything we have is a gift. All of our basic needs that God has met are a gift, let alone all the abundance, the way beyond that He goes and gives us. We should be overflowing with gratefulness and praise. Give us. We should be praying not only for our needs, but for our needs of the needs of our brothers and sisters. We have an endless prayer list before us as we learn and pray for the needs of those around us. Give us our daily bread. Lord, help us to trust you for our provisions. Help us to be content, meet our need, but help us to live moderately, to not be consumed by material possessions. Help us to be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us, to be generous, to be grateful and thankful for all the gifts you give us. We should be specific. List them. But let me end with this question. What happens when we live out this prayer in our life? If we live out this prayer in our lives, we will be living for spiritual things instead of physical things. Our trust will be in Him. Our praise will be to Him. Our thoughts will be of Him and His kingdom. We will not be overly concerned about materialistic values of this society, but we will be living with Christ, His kingdom at the forefront of our lives. So what's our real need in this life? Is it physical bread? It's not really about bread, our earthly needs. It's really about our need for Jesus, the bread of life. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Give us this day our daily bread. These seven words, when prayed correctly and lived out in our life, will meet our needs, our physical needs, but more importantly, when prayed correctly, we will come to trust, to depend upon, to be completely devoted to the one we really need, Jesus. These words are not just about meeting our needs, They are about bringing us to the one, the only one who can. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are concerned about our well-being, our physical needs. And Father, let our motivation for praying for these things be so that we can be freed up to not be consumed by our needs, but to be free to serve You. Father, we know that You are the true and only bread of life. Thank You for opening all of our eyes, the ones that are here that know You. Father, thank You for opening our eyes to You and bringing us into the kingdom. May we be about serving You and not be tied to this world. May we just be... Father, consumed by your kingdom and your will on earth, and may we go about serving you in the best way that we can. If there's anyone here today that does not know you in this way, may this be the day that they enter into relationship with the only true bread of life, the sustenance that they need is you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.